Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Six Degrees of Associations. I'm your host, Lucas McCann. With me today, Ashley Hodick-Sullivan, Director of Membership and Marketing at the National Association of College and University Attorneys. That is a mouthful. Welcome to the show, <laughs> Ashley. Thank you so much, Lucas. It's really a pleasure to be here. The pleasure is mine. Well, I would like to start the show out by just kind of kicking the microphone over to you. Tell us a little bit about what role you're in currently in the association industry, maybe how you found this crazy world and a little bit more about you and your story. Sounds great. So um, as you shared, I am the Director of Membership and Marketing, National Association of College and University Attorneys, affectionately known as NACUA. Uh, here in Washington, D.C. I am actually coming up on five years in the role. I joined back in December of 2018. And in that, I am responsible for obviously all things membership, recruitment, retention, administration, uh, most importantly, the engagement. I deal in marketing. So anything that is talking about our brand, our programs, our benefits, our services, uh, just generally the look and feel down to the member experience for the association. I work in sponsorship, which oddly enough is actually one of my favorite parts of my job because it's almost like matchmaking in terms of building the relationship between the sponsor partners and the association. And then I also dabble in some other projects, honors and awards, nominations and elections are two of my big special projects that I work on throughout the year. Um, and prior to joining NACUA, I, I have spent my entire career in associations. Uh, way back when I was a baby, I worked for the Maryland Association for Justice as their marketing and comms manager. I then moved on. I was the chief operating officer for the New York Trial Lawyers Association up in New York City. I was there for several years. And then I decided, I was like, ah, I'm going to get out of the legal sector for a little bit. I went over and worked for an association management company where I was. Uh, I had several clients. I worked with the Garden Communicators Association, also known as GardenCom. I worked with the... Tell Electronic Distributors Network Association as their executive director. And then I also did some special projects with New York Women in Communication. So that was super fun. Um, and then I found my way to NACUA a few years ago, and it's just been absolutely lovely. And so when I'm not in my day job, I'm a big volunteer with ASAE. Uh, I actually just wrapped my year uh, this past August as the chair of the Membership Professionals Advisory Council. But before that, I was on the Young Professionals Committee. I was on the Executive Management Council. I'm a Gold Circle Awards judge. I've, I've done a little bit of everything over my time there. Oh, and I got my CAE back in June, May, which was super fun. Super fun to study for. Let me tell you, that is a lot of reading. So that's just a little bit about me. I'm a giant association nerd. <laughs> giant association nerd. Well, I want to come back to maybe the nerd and some of the and some of the volunteer stuff. But if you're just meeting Ashley, I think you've quickly realized, as I have, is she likes to do everything and every every bit. And I mean, you have two big titles, right? <laughs> Membership and marketing at some associations mm -hmm. are are kind of separate. At your current role, you've been in a place where you get to put those together. You shared with me that, you know, you, you kind of like that, right? And and what oh, does yeah. that what does that enable you within your association to kind of touch and do? And how does that how does that excite you? Um, I really love the interconnectivity between membership and marketing because first of all, we don't have associations without a membership, right? Like that that is at the core of what we do. And it's my job to make sure we have them that we keep them and that we keep them happy. 
The nice piece about adding in the marketing component is that it's all about the messaging. It's about the branding. It's about the look and the feel. And so by having it under one umbrella, they're constantly interconnected. And what I, I think is a really interesting trend in association management is for a long time, we were talking about member engagement, recruitment, retention, and now it's kind of evolved to this idea of member experience. And so by marrying the marketing, the branding, the communications with the membership overall, you really do get that intersection of the member experience. And so that's something that's really at the root of, of really everything that I do at the association. And even when I'm sitting in a meeting, that's something that's always percolating in the back of my mind. What is the overall experience? Um, and thankfully, even as we're heading into a new strategic work plan at our association, that's literally one of our pillars this year. And so that's really exciting because now it's something that everybody's thinking about and, and looking at a holistic view of not just the person who pays the dues invoice. It's really down to your your average representative who is just starting their career all the way up to that general counsel that's at the, the pinnacle of, of what they're going to do professionally. Uh, and I think that's really exciting. And the role itself just gives me an opportunity to have my my hands in lots of different lots of different projects. I remember, uh, it doesn't feel like too long ago, though it probably was, when in, in our industry found the word engagement, and then we all just mm-hmm. kind of choked on that word for like years <laughs> trying to figure out what does this mean? Yeah. What is this word? We're going to use it because it sounds really mm-hmm. good and we do want people to be engaged. But I yes. I agree, we've, we've evolved to this uh, idea of experience, I think, because it's it's broader, um, and I think to an extent, as brand becomes more important, the experience has more of a feeling, right? You could engage with somebody negative or positively, experience sort of conjures up this emotion, almost, right? I agree whole, wholeheartedly. Um, I think it's really allowed association professionals to think differently about their programs or services and even how they're communicating with their members. Yeah. And, and then you think about all the segments, right? So that's where I feel like everybody's mm-hmm. going now is, okay, well, there's the overall experience, but how do you, well, tell us a little bit about your group and do you have sort of segmentation in between that? How do you think about experience differently? Does it change your idea of how we communicate or I won't say engaged. I'm going to, I'm going to not say that. <laughs> So with our association, um, college and university attorneys, you're looking at the Office of General Counsel on college and university campuses. We also have some members that are outside counsel. And then interestingly enough, we're starting to see more and more attorneys outside the Office of General Counsel, but still working at colleges and universities. And so just there in itself, you have three very distinct segments. But the one that we're really looking at is career pathways. And so looking at folks that are coming to us that are new to um, the practice of higher education law, the people who are really mid-career and trying to figure out if they want to take their career to the next level, do they want to kind of stay where they're at? And then obviously you've got your VIPs, your top tiers, your primary representatives, the people who at, at the root, they were the reason you founded it in the first place, but you have all these other segments now. Um, And what's really interesting about our association specifically is just because you're new to higher education law doesn't mean you're new to law. We have a lot of folks that come to us after they've already been a practicing attorney for 10 or 15 years. And so you're not just focusing on the young professional. You're really focusing on the, the practice itself. And so. 
um, that really does lend itself to some really unique conversations. And uh, we've been very fortunate. We actually developed a workshop of many, many years ago, and it's called Lawyers New to Higher Education. And it's specifically curated for someone who is not fresh out of law school. It is for someone who is coming to the industry and looking at all the ways that this area of law is unique um, and, and addressing those things they wouldn't have gotten in law school. They wouldn't have gotten when they worked in corporate, wouldn't have gotten if they necessarily worked in the law firm. So um, that's been a really, a, a really interesting way to kind of address a need in the community. Yeah, the idea of, you know, how do you attract members, especially of the younger demographic, younger age, like that sounds like a fantastic sort of program to implement. But you also shared you have quite the impressive retention rate, which, you know, getting them in the door is one thing, getting them, uh, getting them into the initial experience, I'm not going to use engage, Mm -hmm. into the initial experience. But talk about your retention and what you think are sort of the highest factors that have led to that. Um, specifically in membership, I think it's it's so important. And then obviously in marketing, it all plays together. Absolutely. So NECU is very fortunate. We have consistently had a retention rate of well over 96, 97% for at least a decade, as far back as I've seen the records go. And I know they go back further than that. But NACU has always prided itself on the idea of, of anticipating the needs of all of our members and, and really trying to address those in the most proactive way possible. I, I think a great way of looking at it is that, um, yes, we absolutely serve the needs of our general counsels and our primary representatives, but we also see the importance of addressing the needs of those who aren't necessarily there yet, because somebody who's an associate general counsel today could be a general counsel in five years. If we make ourselves the one-stop shop for all of their professional needs, when they go to that associate, when they go to that new college or university and that university is a non-member, they immediately say on their first day, well, we have to be NACUA members now because this is what I need in order to do my job and do my job well. And so when we're looking at our programming, when we're looking at our benefits and services, when we're looking at our legal resource library, it is always utilizing member research and member conversations as a basis. We have attorneys on our staff who are constantly reading our higher logic platform, our internal network, and and looking at what they're talking about. What are their concerns? What are their issues? And so then we can develop programming on, all right, the federal government just dropped a new regulation that's going to have a lot of impact on our colleges and universities. How are we going to react to that? How are we going to provide programming, whether paid or free, that is addressing those concerns and those needs? And our members know that. They appreciate it. Um, during COVID, we doubled, tripled, quadrupled down on that. And whereas before the pandemic, we were only doing maybe one briefing every six months, we did 30 in a year period. We were doing sometimes three a week and it was on every single facet of higher education law and how COVID was impacting it. Employment law, student services, health of your staff, um, multi-state work issues. I mean, the whole gamut. And we were constantly just being responsive to the need. And there were times where, yeah, we were pushing out a lot at one time and the staff was stretched just a little thin. But what we heard back from the members constantly was you were there for us when we needed it absolutely the most. And that just instills just a tremendous amount of loyalty to the association, whether that's brand loyalty, whether that's mission loyalty. Um, 
you know, they, they know we're going to be there for them. And so as a result, it, it's really their professional home. And that's a message we're really pushing with our members and with non-members is like, we, we are your professional home. We create this community of, of attorneys that some members have said is like having a law firm of 5,000 attorneys at your fingers. And that community and supporting that community has really been a tremendous driver in what we do on a daily basis. Yeah, I think it's spot on. I mean, I, there, I think that's still an opportunity for a lot of associations. The community aspect, again, it, community, it sounds like another word like engagement, but it's it's so real. And the fact that you're leaning in, like, yes, members want to hear what the association is doing and what the, but they also want to be heard. And you can't do that unless it's conversational. So I was really interested. We didn't talk about this pre-show, but the idea that you're having folks go into your higher logic platform and picking out conversational items and looking at that information, I think is amazing. Do you, do you have an example at hand of something that you then could take and create actionable from those conversations? Absolutely. Um, there was a few weeks ago a massive data breach that impacted a lot of association, a lot of a lot of colleges and universities, and we saw an anonymous post come through and said, "Hey, is anyone dealing with this? Like, it, it's a little sensitive. You don't want to you don't want to admit that your institution has had a massive data breach." And so we saw this anonymous posting, and um, we kind of watched the thread and. They weren't getting a lot of traction, but it was our understanding they were hearing from folks on the back end that, yes, this is a challenge we're having. And so we didn't necessarily think it was a a briefing per se, but what we actually did is created almost a pop-up discussion group for folks and said, look, we understand many of you have been impacted by this. Um, We're going to bring in a few folks who deal in these types of issues, data privacy issues. They're going to talk at the top kind of give a little bit of introductory remarks, a little bit of context, but then just give you an opportunity to talk about the challenges that you're facing and kind of allow you you to exchange ideas. So it's not just a conversation between two professionals. It's now a conversation amongst 30 professionals that are all dealing with the same challenge. And um, to be able to do that in a virtual capacity, I think has really been, and I know this has been said a hundred times in the last three years, has been a silver lining of of COVID is we're now all comfortable doing it. And so I think there's really a tremendous opportunity for associations to to craft those experiences if we can do it in a meaningful way. That's always the challenge. I mean, and and we've definitely had a lot of failures in that regard, trying to find what the fit is. Yeah, I think the other thing that you did of brilliance in there is shrink the group, right? I mean, you see Mm -hmm. this in team meetings, strategic meetings, strategic planning is not everybody's comfortable sort of shouting everything out amongst the Mm 5,000. But if you can can shrink the group, right, in the community, um, you'll get a lot more real answers from folks. And they're more willing to, especially if it's people that are named and you kind of know who's in the room, so to speak. Uh, yep. That's where a lot of value happens. And so I, thinking through that lens, um, is that something that you actively think about in your role is like in order to yes. get that type of qualitative feedback and mm-hmm. how does that actualize itself? So really it's, um, it's a very collaborative process in that, 
you know, especially with this this most recent data breach issue, that was actually kind of an experiment for us in doing a pop-up discussion group. We knew discussion groups worked. We've done them at our in-person meetings. Our members enjoy them. They're not recorded. They're really a facilitated discussion, but it allows people to kind of observe and ask questions. So we knew the format worked in an in-person format, but um, we also knew that we didn't have the answers yet because we didn't know what was actionable from like a policy standpoint, but allowing them to exchange those ideas may be the best way to kind of figure out where everybody stands. And so really being able to create that channel and create that venue, that was a discussion among several staff members. We sat down in our CEO's office and said, all right, how do we want to attack this? And and one of us literally said, well, what if we just did a virtual pop-up? And we just kind of ran with that idea. And that's the nice thing is, is being able to have lots of different people in the room with lots of different perspectives so that you really kind of have a mind meld. It's not just one person that's ever working on anything. It's always a collaborative process. And, and it's a process where if you're in the room, you have a voice and your voice matters. And, and I mean, that goes back to that idea of culture is just because you work in technology doesn't necessarily mean that you aren't going to have a tremendous valuable input on member experience. And same thing on the membership side when it comes to technology. Um, and, and that's, I think, really important when you're coming up with these ideas. You got to get out of the silos. You got to get out of um, this is my this is my resume. This is my job description. And this is what I do. It can't really work that way in association management. No. And, and I was having a conversation the other day and, and they were bringing up the thought of like, you know, we want to build this conversational culture around there's no such thing as a bad idea. And to mm -hmm. which I layered in, there can be once you ask a few questions and then find out that maybe that was a bad idea. But initially, there is no such thing as a bad idea or a bad suggestion. So getting everybody in the room, understanding different perspectives, it just creates mm -hmm. a ton of value, maybe, maybe more than anything else is, you know, because that can fall into networking, that can fall into... You know, sort of that brainstorming of the industry knowledge, the tribal knowledge mm -hmm. that you could share together in a new setting. Yeah. It's great. You did pick on culture in there. So I do want to, we talked a little bit about the impact that culture plays in your association and how you believe that's kind of a champion of maybe the member retention, the success, mm -hmm. the engagement. Yeah. Ah, I said it. Um, the experience, <laughs> excuse me. Um, talk a little bit about how intentional you are about internally about your culture and then maybe how you think that mm -hmm. sort of breeds into the the group as a whole um great question uh culture really is at the root of everything that nacua does um we have a a member facing set of values and those values are ones that we hold our members to and we also have staff values and those are what we hold each other to and they're very much almost similar they, they are almost identical, but with one unique difference is service on the member on the uh, staff side. And okay. it is something that we make an effort to communicate constantly. If our CEO is writing a CEO corner for our newsletter, she is usually citing at least one of our values and how the programs and services and the things that we're working on are addressing those values. If we're in a staff meeting or we're in a new member or a new staff member orientation, we're talking about what that culture is. Um, and 
we're very fortunate. It, it is very much a culture that is built on respect. It's built on collegiality. We like to say it's a no toxicity zone. We have very little tolerance for it. And what I love is on the membership side as well, our long-term members are fiercely protective of the culture. And so if you have a new member that comes in and thinks it's appropriate to talk to a staff member in a certain way, that gets shut down hard and not by a member of the staff, by the members. And even on the board culture, uh, they are incredibly respective and appreciative of the staff. And it's something that new board members here from old, uh, from more experienced, I don't want to say older board members, more experienced more board experience. members. More tenure. And so... It, it, it's a, it goes back to that idea of community in, in saying, you know, this is what we believe in. This is who we are. And this is the expectation that you're going to carry that forward. Um, and, and we say that with all of our staff, whether you are the CEO or you are the assistant, it is your job to carry that culture. It's your, your, your job to really kind of set the example for the association. I like to say with any staff member, the interaction you have with the member could be the only interaction that they have all year. So you need to make sure that that interaction is as positive and productive and meeting their needs as much as humanly possible. And it, that's definitely kind of an aha moment for some people because it's, yeah, yeah, it's just a phone call. They need to know how to reset their password. Well, if you do that in a positive and a helpful and a productive way, they're going to be like, wow. Like they actually care. And I'm really glad that they, they got me what I needed because now I can get this case brief that is going to make or break my situation at work. Those kinds of things matter to them. And so being able to kind of craft that mentality is really, really important. And, and also the idea of that collegiality and supporting one another. Um, we all at our association hold each other to incredibly high standards, but we also recognize that we're human. And sometimes we're humans and we have a bad day. Sometimes we're humans and we're celebrating the fact that we're working parents and we're leaving early to go to a concert or go trick or treating. And that's cool. I'll move that meeting if that's what you need. You know, it, it's it's the idea of, you know, a, a professional excellence while still appreciating that you are bringing your whole self to work. And, and that really is what keeps us around as long as we do. We have a, a remarkably great staff retention. It, at least half the staff has been with us four years or more. Um, and in this this culture these days, that's really, we see that as a tremendous success. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, the excellence part because I thought that was important to couple that, not just with, hey, we understand and, and we like each other, but mm -hmm. we're also going to achieve great things, right? So yeah. the idea that we're coupling Hey, I'm going to hold you to a very high standard. I'm going to do it respectfully. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're not going to be jerks to each other, um, but there's a mutual understanding. Uh, I help the thinking, you know, everybody talks about like work-life balance as if it's you, Ashley, you have to figure out your own work-life balance. But mm -hmm. uh, it sounds like what you've got is a team that sort of keeps you accountable for high excellence, the work part, mm -hmm. but understands that you're a mom and you have a personal life and you're a human and all these other things like what a great environment to sort of breathe into a culture that is sort of working on the work-life balance for you. Is that fair to say? That's absolutely fair to say. Um, we, we are very supportive of our, our needs and definitely are willing to throw someone a bone when they're like, look, I was up all night with a toddler and I'm running off of three hours of sleep. Like, just just give me a minute to kind of collect myself. And that's OK. Um, 
And I think that's really, really important. And I say that as both a staff member and as a manager, you know, it, it, it really does matter. And knowing that you are supported really kind of creates this sense of loyalty where, yeah, I'm sure I could go somewhere and I could make a lot more money doing what I do, but I wouldn't necessarily be able to do it in such a supportive environment that allows me and allows my coworkers to be who they are. Um, and that's really, really important to what we do every day and, and really kind of instills that culture of caring and, and being there for one another, both personally and professionally, when we really need it. Yeah, it shouldn't be any surprise then now looking back at our conversation here that you have high retentions rates on the member side. You have high retentions on the employee side. You've grown as a staff over the past couple mm-hmm. of years under this model. So it's not that we're just, you know loving each other up and, and sort of <laughs> keeping pace, we're actually excelling. We're continuing to grow as an organization. We're building programs. We're doing all these things. But at the root of it, there's this really supportive culture um, that has has goals. Yeah. And, and we're incredibly fortunate. I mean, we went through a CEO transition a few years ago. We had uh, a CEO and a deputy CEO that had been with us uh, together <laughs> over 20 years. And we were all the old timers were really nervous because, you know, you see a massive shift sometimes when you bring in a new CEO. And I give all the credit in the world to uh, our new CEO, Onal Sindasumu, because she really um, listened to us to hear what that culture was. And she took that culture to heart and has continued to exemplify it and encourage it and um, really do her absolute best to support the staff in so much of what we're doing. And that is both personally and professionally. She kind of looked around and this was on the the, the waning days of the worst of the pandemic. And, and she looked around and she saw a team that was incredibly stretched thin, incredibly burned out and said, look, if we're going to continue this excellence, if we're going to continue to grow and evolve, we need more support. And it's not just support, you know, take this one project off someone's hands. It's support to kind of free their brain up in a way that's going to allow them to think innovatively, to think strategically, to think of different ways to approach an issue as opposed to just rinse and repeating. Yes, we have managed to to maintain this set of activities for this many years at this level. But if we have any hope of going above and beyond that, we need to start thinking a little bit differently about how we use our human capital. And um, I think that's been a, a, a tremendous evolution uh, with our staff. And I'm really excited. This We're in the process of developing that first strategic work plan under her. And I'm so excited to see how that evolves um, once we've had the opportunity to kind of get, get to work on it and, and with this yeah. new machine that we've built. Yeah, it's not a it's not a step back. I was going to say, you know, sort of one step back to get five steps forward, but it's not really a step back. It, it's it's really an investment in alleviating a little bit of the pressure so that people can start to pick their heads up, look forward, look elsewhere, have creative, you know, time to just be that, just be creative and yeah. think outside of themselves, think outside of the organization. You know, what are we not doing? Let's dream for a minute and then sort of mm-hmm. back it down to reality. But, you know, for a minute, <laughs> it's, it's it's helpful to understand what could be um, yeah. and, and just have those conversations. There was there was one thing specifically that I thought was interesting about your culture and in your interview. And there's one specific portion of your interview that I was hoping you could talk about for just a couple of minutes and, and, sure. and why you do this. Um, so I think you're alluding to our group interview stage that we do. 
Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. So I always like to say with candidates when I interview them, I, I say, look, you've made it through round one. We've done the one on one over Zoom or in person or over coffee. You're not going to be invited to the group interview stage. And I know for a lot of people, it's just this horrible sense of foreboding that comes over them because they're like, I'm going to sit in a room. There's going to be five people across the table. I mean, they're just going to hammer me with questions waiting for me to firing squad. Right. It really is. It's a firing squad. It's a very intimidating experience. But our approach to um, the group interview stage has really more been to look for fit. It's to look for the culture. It's to look how this person is interplaying with other folks they're going to work with because it's not just all the senior people come into this group interview. We're pulling some of our junior staff, some of our mid-level staff, some of our senior staff. And it's really an opportunity to get to know them, ask culture questions, yeah. ask like, what work environment do you thrive in? What do you like in a manager? What what do you like to do in your free time? And so being able to kind of get them to let their guard down a little bit and get to know who they are as a person and let them see who we are as a person. Because what's also wonderful about these group interviews is they get to see our culture at play. They get to see me razzing our director of technology services. They get to hear, you know, our meetings manager and I talk about fun things that we've done on site for meetings. And so really kind of being able to kind of put it on display so that we get to know who they are and how they fit in the group and how you know, how we are as a group and really kind of feeling that that professional warmth, uh, for lack of a better word. And that's something we really tell the candidate up front is like, look, this is not your typical group interview. This is the goal of this. Um, and so I think that does really help um, both sides get to know each other just a little bit better beyond the hard skills. You can teach hard skills, but it really yeah. comes down to the soft skills and how those soft skills are going to fit in with your organization overall that are so, so important. Yeah. I mean, I, I often say I spend more time, unfortunately, or fortunately, I like my coworker. I spend more time with my coworkers than I do my family. Right. I mean, I, it's the end of the day. You spend a lot of life with these people and, you know, it's important to know that you can break bread, have a drink, have some food. Um, that is part of the culture there. And you share like even a food question, like, talk about the foods that you like to eat. Like that's important. And yeah. if that's important, let's learn from each other. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I love the, the way street. Oh no, it is. And and I love the point you made about food. Cause first of all, we love to eat at NACUA. We, we eat a lot in the office, but even when we're on site for meetings, like you get to the end of those 12 hour days and you are exhausted, but yeah. we all like to continue hanging out. We all go out, we'll share a meal. We'll, you know, enjoy having a drink together and and really be able to just kind of let our hair down a little bit. And I always have been so hardened by the fact that no matter who is on the staff that's there on the meeting, like the invitation is open to anybody that wants to come. And we genuinely want to spend time with one another. And I think that says a lot because you could get to an end of a 12 hour day and say, I do not want to look or speak to a single one of these people until tomorrow morning at 6.30 a.m. when we come downstairs. And that is definitely not the case. We're we're incredibly fortunate in that regard. Yeah, even, even folks on staff who aren't people-type persons, um, mm-hmm. if you do it right, even gravitate towards that, right? It's not their natural inclination. They may not want to do it all day, every day. But if mm-hmm. you set the right environment and you build that culture, it's attractive, yeah. right? And oh, yeah. absolutely to all folks. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Well, I, I want to switch gears because you mentioned volunteering, and this is a passion of yours, and you spent mm-hmm. some time at ASA. Um, 
tell us a little bit more about, tell us a little bit more just about that passion. Where did that passion come from? Or have you thought about that? Or, or how do you, how do you practice that passion? That's a great question. Um, it really, it really started at my first job. I, I had an amazing executive director, David Walls, and we were sitting in a one-on-one meeting and he's like, you really seem to have a knack for this like association thing. Like you may want to think about this as a career. And if you want to do this as a career, the place you need to be is at ASAE. And I went to my first meeting. It was in LA, which is this massive annual meeting. I mean, it was so overwhelming. I've never been at a meeting of 5,000 people. And it, 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 5,000 people who love what they do too. And it was so overwhelming but I got a chance to talk to people and hear the stories. And at the time I was at a small association, we were a staff of five. So being able to kind of get outside my my bubble and see what else is out there and hear about the experiences of other people was just really kind of tremendous. And so as soon as I could, I actually applied to join the Young Professionals Committee. And I, I think I got in on like 2010, I think it was 2010. And you know, being able to be in a room with professionals who love what they do, and especially the YP group, if you come in on the YP committee, they're all a bunch of little go-getters who just I, just bleed association management. And so that kind of um, that kind of jazzed you up. And I built a cohort from that group and we've all come up together. I mean, I now can say I've known some of these people in most 15 years and, and we've watched our careers progress from being, you know, coordinators and assistants to now I have friends who are CEOs. I have friends that are at the pinnacle of their career. They're winning awards at annual conference and I get to call them my friends and I get to learn from them and I get to see them. And I, I affectionately refer to ASAE as association summer camp because we don't see each other all year. We try to connect when we can, but then we see each other at summer camp and it's like, we pick up right where we left off and talk shop, talk about our lives, talk about our families. And really it just recharges my batteries and being able to give back to that community is something that I really value because I got a tremendous amount out of serving on the YPs. I I then moved on to executive management and was on that council for a few years. I've been a judge for gold circle. I just finished my year as the chair of membership professionals and All of that has been wonderful because you build this great community as volunteers and you have an opportunity to give back to the community that's given you so much. And I also feel as an association professional, we all work with volunteers and it's so important that we ourselves are volunteers because it helps us get into the mindset. Like all of a sudden I'm sitting in a meeting and I'm going, oh my God, I'm being the volunteer that I complained about. Like I I need to, I need to change my behavior and (laughs) It's really interesting to kind of put yourself in that mindset, because how can we expect our members to volunteer if we, in fact, ourselves aren't doing the same thing? Um, and so and how, that's can you, something how can you build an experience that recruits yes. and, and attracts those people if you've not been in the seat yourself? Right. I mean, you have to have some Precisely. some experience and some empathy to understand you know, what yes. they're looking for and what motivates them and all of that. Absolutely. And I so I I tell any association professional I talk to, I'm like, you need to volunteer. You need to build that experience. You need to kind of get your head outside your silo and and really kind of uh, look around and and see both sides of the coin. 
I mean, they're not a sponsor, so but I'll continue to talk about how great ASA is for a second. Um, they're not a sponsor <laughs> of the show, that is. But I think the other thing they do really well is they build communities within communities, right? So you yes. talked about the YP group. I've had a bunch of DELP scholars on the show. And like these oh, people are amazing. very, very tied to an even smaller community. And then we talked about it again. The smaller the group yeah. gets, the smaller the community gets the more valuable it becomes, the more transparent people become, the more comfortable, mm -hmm. and it's all sort of ties together. I too look yeah. forward to that annual event. It's like, I call it the Super Bowl from my perspective because you know everybody's there and it's like a who's who yep. and you get to see all these friends that you don't get to see and you go around hugging and talking and learning. Um, yeah. yeah, I guess I'll go, go to ASA annual if you haven't been. There's, there's the point of that yeah. conversation. Shameless plug, please come. It's a great time. I absolutely count the days every year. Absolutely. I, yeah, we're already talking about next year with our teams. Like, let's go. We're talking about a party bus from DC, by the way, to up to up to Cleveland. So if you're love in, we'll have a spot for you. Yeah. Thank, thank you. I I love that idea. That sounds like so much fun. <laughs> this is the unfortunate, fortunate part of the conversation where I have to kind of wrap us up on the show. But I do um, get the pleasure of asking you, Ashley. Do you have somebody else in your network that you believe our audience would benefit from hearing from? Yes, I do. Um, I have two names in particular that I highly recommend. First, okay. um, I, I, I have a hard time believing no one has heard of him. But if you haven't, Trevor Mitchell, um, who is the CEO of Mensa America, he is phenomenal. He actually helps run the Next Gen program for ASAE. He's one of their facilitators. Um, he's Great. absolutely an amazing professional. He's had a fantastic professional journey um, and really just has tremendous insights about what it means to be an association professional. Um, and then also Ray Steele. She um, is absolutely a mentor of mine. Um, she has been tremendous in the community in terms of lifting up other professionals. She's been active in um, Association Women in Technology. She's a former award winner. She's done just about everything there is to do in the association realm and also just has a tremendous amount of very grounded, very real practical advice about what it means to kind of be in the trenches. Um, and so I, I couldn't say enough about them and I could probably list names off for the next half hour. I'll be completely honest. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, just the way that you talk about those people, I, I know that they're true professionals and it'll yes. be my pleasure to speak with them as well in the future. So thank you for that. And thank you, Ashley, for your time uh, today. Pleasure. I appreciate it. It's been awesome. Thank you so much.